0: Uh, We're going to finish up the study of Ruth today, so if you have a Bible, would you open it to the book of Ruth? If you don't have a Bible, would you raise your hand nice and high? The guys will come and hand you a Bible. We'd love you to keep that Bible if you don't have one, Uh, but if you do, bring it back next week and and use it regularly. Um, In that Bible, if you're receiving one from the guys, you'll find Ruth chapter 4 on page 144 of, of that Bible. Well, as we've mentioned, the whole story of Ruth uh, starts out tragically in a very dark time in Israel's history. We have three funerals in a foreign land that leave three women widowed, childless, and penniless. In the midst of that low point in their lives, there comes some encouragement. They hear that God is once again blessing The city of Bethlehem, that there is a harvest once again. So, Naomi, the mother in law of the two daughter in laws from Moab, Ruth and Orpah, decides to go back to Bethlehem, which is her hometown, hoping that God would bless her there as well. Now, only one of the two daughter in laws decides to go with her, and that is Ruth. So, they head back uh, from Moab. To Israel and we said last week that for Ruth this is an act of repentance she is leaving her old life behind she is turning from worship of idols to the worship of the one true God she is moving away from her old life to a new life with God and basically nothing else so Ruth and Naomi arrive in Bethlehem and at that point Ruth is a bitter and angry old woman And then we find in chapter 2 that Ruth is kind of an asset for Naomi because she's willing to go out and work to glean in the fields to provide food for she and Naomi. So she goes and in his providence, God brings Ruth to the field of Boaz. Now we find that Boaz is a godly man. A man who is courteous and caring to all of the people that he comes in contact with. A man who is generous. A man who attributes all of the events of life to God. He is a man living in stark contrast to the days of the judges when everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. In my mind... Boaz is an example of one of my favorite verses in the entire Old Testament. and That's Micah 6.8. Micah says, He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before God. That's who Boaz was. That's what he was doing in the midst of those dark times. And you know what it tells me? It tells me that we can do the same thing. Yes, we live in a time of darkness, we live in a time of of post-Christianity, but we can love mercy, we can act justly, we can walk humbly before God and be a light in our community the way Boaz was a light in in his community. So Ruth works for Boaz, and then in chapter 3, we find that Naomi is really concerned for Ruth, and she knows that the best thing that can happen for her is for her to find a husband. So she sends Ruth to uh, Boaz uh, hoping to provide an opportunity for Ruth to marry Boaz to consummate a marriage before the closer relative can find out about it. See Ruth wanted to take a shortcut. Ruth wanted to do a good thing but in the wrong way. And when Um, Naomi wanted to do, sorry, thank you. You're all looking at me like I "I must have said something wrong there. (laughs) Naomi wanted to do uh, a good thing in the wrong way. Ruth goes to Boaz. Boaz refuses to do anything. Boaz refuses to do a good thing in the wrong way. Boaz is unwilling to do what needs to be done in the light under the cover of darkness. Boaz is unwilling to circumvent the law And to eliminate the man who rightfully should have the opportunity to be the redeemer for Ruth and and Boaz. So, rather than doing something at that point, Boaz sends Ruth home and says, Wait, and I will do my best to take care of things. And that brings us to chapter 4, where we are going to be today. So, if you have your Bibles open, Ruth chapter 4, page 144, I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it, saying, And say, buy it in the presence of these sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will not redeem it, if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite. The widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I can't redeem it after all uh, for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. One of the things I see here uh, is that Boaz got busy right away. Uh, That he didn't procrastinate. I hate procrastination. I think it's really important when we have something difficult and are important to do that we do it right away. Abraham is a a terrific example of that. In uh, in Genesis chapter 17, God is confirming the covenant that he made with Abraham. And he said that the, the sign of that covenant is going to be that all male children in your family need to be circumcised on the eighth day. And that will d- demonstrate that we're in this covenant. So Abraham says, yeah, good idea, God. I, that'll be fine. We'll circumcise those babies. And then God says, well, I want you to be circumcised and your son Ishmael also. Always makes me nervous when I read that part. But, <laughs> um, but you know what Abraham did? The very next day, he got up and did what he had to do. Circumcised himself and Ishmael. Uh, and he did it immediately. Another time in in Genesis 22, God says to Abraham, I want you to take your son, the son of the promise, the son who you waited for, for years and years and years, Isaac, I want you to take him and I want you to sacrifice him to me. The very next day, again, Genesis 22 verse 3, it says that Abraham got up the very first thing the very next day, loaded up the, the things that they needed in order to perform their sacrifice and went off and went and got busy if you've got a to-do list and there's some things on there that are uncomfortable and you just rather not do them do them right away get them done get them past you'll you'll feel so much better and i think boaz is a great example of that in going right to work first thing in the morning and he goes to the gate The gate of the city is the place where business was done in that day. It was usually a pretty large area of opening in order to go to the fields or come from the fields or go to your business or whatever you had to do, you had to pass through the gate. There were also rooms off of each uh, entry where you could conduct business. So Boaz goes directly to the gate, and again, in God's providence, immediately, the word here is translated behold. It's like, wow, all of a sudden, The guy he's looking for comes walking by. So Boaz says, okay, you sit down. Then he goes and gets uh, 10 men, 10 of the elders of the city in order to be witnesses. What's kind of interesting about that is that even today in an Orthodox Jewish synagogue, you can't have a service unless there are 10 men present. And that goes back here to Ruth chapter 4. It's called a minion. When I was a kid, I always hoped that that 10th guy wouldn't show up. (laughs) Now, um, the way that the, the, the narrator describes this, this relative that comes by is, is really quite interesting. He refuses to give us his name. In fact, the Hebrew word that he uses when he describes him here, uh, it's, it's translated, uh, friend, turn aside and, and sit down here. But in reality, the, the proper Hebrew translation is uh, turn aside so-and-so, uh, and and sit down here. In our vernacular today, it would be, uh, yo, I uh, want to come over here and, and sit down. Um, he, we're not told his name at all throughout the entire story, but he is still the closest relative, and therefore he has the right to be the kinsman redeemer. Now, this idea of kinsman redeemer is one of the keys to the entire book of Ruth. The word redeem means to set free by paying a price. The Hebrew word is goel, the one who has the right and the duty according to the law, to redeem both the inheritance of the deceased relative and to marry his widow. If you want to look up those laws, you find the law on the inheritance in Leviticus 25. And if you want to find the law on the marrying the widow, you'd find that in Deuteronomy uh, 25. So if you want to do that for further study, that's where you would find that. Now, since it was God who assigned each family their land within their tribe, The land was of great importance to the people of Israel. Um, In order to make sure that land stayed in the family, God instituted this law of the kinsman redeemer. If a man died and he left a widow with no sons, then this closest relative had the opportunity to both buy the land on behalf of the family and marry the widow and provide her with sons who would then inherit the land so that that land would stay within that particular family. And this is the, the law that Naomi was kind of trying to circumvent uh, when she sent Ruth over to Boaz's house that evening. Again, but because Boaz knew that there was a closer relative, he refused to act at that time and said, wait, I'll take care of things tomorrow. So not everyone could fulfill the role of kinsman redeemer. There were three requirements that the law gave in order for one to be that kinsman redeemer. First, they had to be the closest relative. And that's the problem that Boaz had. He was not the closest relative. He knew that there was another man in Bethlehem who was closer to Ruth and Naomi than he was. The second thing is you had to be able to redeem the land. You had to be able to afford to do it. And the third thing is you had to be willing to do it. And that's where we find that our closest relative ends up falling short. You see, he wasn't willing because he was afraid that by by buying the land that he might uh, lose his inheritance because the land would not go to his children, they would end up going to Ruth's children. And, and he wasn't willing to lose that possibility. When he first heard it from Boaz, he said, oh, okay, this makes sense. Naomi's too old. I can buy the land. God is blessing. It looks like this will be a profitable situation for me, so I'll do it. But then Boaz adds the second part to this. And he says, now, wait a minute. There isn't just an old widow. There's also a young widow. And she happens to be from Moab, which is a slam against her. And he says, not only are you going to have to buy the land, but you're going to have to marry Ruth. And you're going to have to provide Ruth with children. And those children will not have your name. Those children will not inherit this land. They will have a Limelech's name. And a Limelech's family will inherit that land. And he says, you know, yeah. You know, here's old Yo. And he says... Uh, someone this morning mentioned you should call him Yoaz. So you have Boaz and Yoaz. I, th- I thought that was I thought that was pretty clever. I could never have thought of that on my own. Um, but but all Yo saw here was responsibilities. All he saw was negotiations. All he saw was deals and and property. See, he he didn't have any concern for the fact that there were people involved. In fact. It's surprising that he didn't know about Ruth. Maybe it's because she was a foreigner, a Gentile, and, and therefore she wasn't even worth considering. He took a look at the transaction and said, the liabilities outweigh the assets, therefore I'm out. We, we need to think about that, and I need to think about that in my own life and in my, my responsibilities here at the church. When we're looking at a financial deal, when we're looking at a financial transaction, we need to make sure that we don't just look at the pluses and minuses, the assets and liabilities, that we look at the human component as well. Uh, I have a very dear friend who is the president and CEO of a billion and a half dollar publicly traded corporation. In uh, 2008, when the uh, recession hit, his company lost almost 40% of their revenue. And of course, pressure from the uh, stockholders, pressure from the board of directors said, you've got to cut costs to match your decreasing revenue. And the easiest way, of course, to do that is to start to lay off people. There's thousands of employees in this company. And my friend David said, no, um, he's not going to lay anybody off. He... He cut salaries, he cut benefits, he cut bonuses, he reduced uh, contribution to 401Ks. He did everything he possibly could to maintain the jobs of every one of those associates and not one of those associates lost their job in the midst of that recession because he understood the importance of the human component when it comes to financial transactions and we need to understand that as well. When we're evaluating those decisions, please make sure that you don't just look at the pluses and minuses, but you look at the the human component as well. And for for Yo, he's not interested in the human component, and his name is deleted from the story completely. So he steps back and says, No, Boaz, I, I'm not interested. And that allows Boaz to fulfill his gracious desire and to redeem the land uh, for Naomi and Ruth and to ask Ruth to be his wife so let's look at uh, chapter 4 verse 7 now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon and also Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from among uh, the gate of his native place. So what happens is this redeemer takes off his sandal and he hands it to Boaz and says, I'm not interested in the land or being the redeemer. I think that that refers back to a, uh, a circumstance in Genesis chapter 13, when God was showing Abraham the expanse of the land that he was going to be giving to him and his family, he said to Abraham, I want you to walk as far north as you can, as far south, as far east, and as far west, and all of the land that you walk on will be yours. And what this redeemer, this relative, is saying by taking off his sandal and saying, I'm not going to walk the land. I am not going to stake a claim on the land, therefore Boaz, you have the sandal, you have the land. And Boaz says, here's the deal guys, I've got my witnesses, I've got my sandal, the transaction is done. It's been done in the light of day, it's been done in public, it's been done the way the law requires, and the transaction is complete. And uh, Boaz is able to uh, become the redeemer for uh, Naomi and for um, for Ruth, so we get to this place now in in verse ten, where Boaz um, reveals that there's more to it. He says that not not only is he taking the responsibility to provide children and to take care of the land, he is going to make Naomi, I'm sorry, Ruth, his wife he is going to raise her up to the position of his wife, to his partner. There's there's a sense of intimacy there. There's a sense of relationship. And and it's so interesting because Ruth was a story of someone who many like Yo and and maybe even most of the people in Israel uh, would ignore her because she's poor, she's a widow, she's a Gentile. But Boaz sees her the way God sees her. And he lifts her up to a place of importance. He places her in a, in a situation where she's his wife and his partner. And this is an incredible transformation that occurs. All of the barriers between them have been eliminated. There was moral barriers and social barriers and cultural barriers, financial barriers, and all of those have been wiped out. She is now able to have fellowship with Boaz in the most intimate way. But what we need to see is that she didn't start off that way. Her situation at the very beginning was a Gentile, an idol worshiper, a widow, no children, poor, but we see that she loved God because he first loved her. We see that she repented from her old life and God changed her heart and she became a worshiper of the one true God. She showed her faithfulness. She showed her integrity. She showed her character. And then God blessed her. What this means is it really doesn't matter where we start or what we've done we can be just like Ruth and start off in a horrible situation and end up just like Ruth in a wonderful place. We saw Ruth go from from a foreigner and a Gentile to to the lowliest servant to a, a raised up elevated servant to a wife, to a partner, to an equal. Now God is not obligated in every situation, obviously, to bring such happiness out of our circumstances. But he does promise blessing for obedience. And that's what happens for Ruth. The point of this is, when you meet your Redeemer, everything, everything can and will change. And that's what happens for Ruth. Now let's look at the story as it continues in in verse 11. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and she... And the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, "'Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer.'" God gives them each other. And then God blesses them even further and gives them a child. It is so obvious that it is God who provided conception here because Ruth was married to Malon for 10 years and had no children. And now God comes in and provides them with a child. They get each other. They get a child. And both the men and the women of the city of Bethlehem bless God as a result of this. They don't bless Boaz they don't bless Ruth they don't bless Naomi they bless God do you see that when God's people act in an honorable way when we act justly when we love mercy when we walk humbly before God it is God in heaven who is blessed it is God in heaven who receives the glory Jesus said it this way in Matthew five sixteen. he said let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So people praise God when they see Christians live honorable lives. Well, the specific statement of blessing that is offered to to Ruth and Boaz is really quite fitting. Uh, They mention four uh, people from the history of Israel. They mention Rachel, Leah. Tamar and Perez. And the interesting thing about all four of those is that all four started their life in very difficult circumstances. And they all were recipients of God's redeeming grace. Rachel started out as a barren woman for decades in a society that honored childbearing. For decades, she lived without the ability to have a child. And then God blessed her with a son, with Joseph, and another son, Benjamin. Leah. Leah starts out as the unattractive, unloved wife of Jacob. But yet God gives her six sons and then gives her the honor of being buried alongside Jacob in the cave of Machpelah with Abraham and Isaac. Then you have Tamar, who is the daughter-in-law of Judah, the son of Jacob. And Tamar's first husband dies. Then her second husband dies. Then Judah won't give her his third son, and treats her incredibly poorly, she ends up having a child, and God ends up bringing her back into the family, and that child is, there's twins, and the youngest of those twins is Perez. Perez, who starts out as the younger of the two, has to fight to get to his place in life. It is him that God uses to bring forth the family of the Messiah. Each one of those people mentioned started life in difficult situations, but because of God's redeeming grace, He blessed them. And the people of the city are saying to Ruth and to Boaz, May God do for you what He did for those in our history. It's a beautiful picture of blessing that the people of the city are bringing upon. Uh, Ruth and and Boaz and then interestingly the scene shifts right back to our favorite mother-in-law Naomi Uh, and the woman say hey Naomi look it looked like your life was destroyed but look what God has done for you your daughter-in-law Ruth loves you so much and loves God so much that she's better to you than seven sons what they're saying is, in Israel at that time, seven sons was the perfect family. If you had seven boys, that was it. That was the most perfect family that you could have. And sh- they're saying to that, uh, to Ruth, uh, to, I'm sorry, to Naomi. Boy, am I messing those two up. Um, you know who I mean. Uh, it says to Naomi, you've got Ruth. She's better than the perfect family. That's how God has, has blessed you. See... God has brought both of these women to the full completion of redemption. See, Ruth had gone from being a Gentile to being a worshiper of the one true God. She went from being a widow to a wife. She went from being absolutely destitute poor to being rich, to being Boaz's equal. She went from being alone to being loved, from being barren and childless to being a wife and a mother. You see, Ruth, in the midst of her crisis, ran to God, and God blessed her. And then Naomi, Naomi goes from a bitter, empty, manipulative old woman to a blessed grandmother now it it, it seems to me that Ruth's blessing is a result of obedience I don't think that's necessarily the case with Naomi I think Naomi's blessing is a result of God's faithfulness to bless and to have mercy upon whom he will have mercy but what we have to see is in either case whether we're manipulators and bitter and angry or we're faithful and godly we all need a redeemer we all need a redeemer. And the, the, the people of the city see Naomi in this final scene, cradling her grandson. And the women of the, of the town come together, and they all name this child Obed. It's kind of unusual that the, the neighborhood would be involved in, in naming the child. But that name literally means servant. And he is the father of Jesse, who is the father of David. Through this story, through this love story, through all of the the pain and and the suffering and, and the changes, comes King David. It starts out as dark as it possibly could in the time of judges when everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. It was famines and funerals. And it ends with redemption, salvation, marriage, a baby, and a king. The book of Ruth begins with three funerals and, and ends with a wedding. Chapter 1 is filled with sorrow and weeping. Chapter 4 is filled with rejoicing and blessing. Now again, we know that not all of life's stories have this kind of happy ending. But this book reminds us that God is writing the last chapter. That God is not through with us. This tells us that regardless of what situation that we're in, regardless of where we are, that the God, creator, king of the universe, is working to accomplish his purpose in our lives. That our story is not over. That God, who promises... To work all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to our, our, his purpose uh, is writing the last chapter of our lives. It is accomplishing his purpose through us. And, and then the book ends with, with a genealogy, which some, people, some commentators even think that this was kind of added on at the end because uh, it doesn't seem to fit with this, this love story that we read. But uh, I, I read it over and over again and think, what, what is this? Why is this genealogy here? And then it, it, it kind of hit me that, that there's some real importance in here. First of all, there's another place in Scripture where Ruth and Boaz are mentioned, and that happens to be in a genealogy. In Matthew chapter one, verses five and six, we read that Boaz is the son of Salmon by forgot her name. Golly, by Rahab. Sorry, <laughs> by Rahab. Rahab, if you know your uh, history from the Old Testament, the book of Joshua chapter two, Rahab was not only a Gentile, a Canaanite but she was a prostitute god is revealing that he can work and change anyone that god can take our lives and write that last chapter in a way that honors him that brings him glory and that brings us good Here is Rahab, the prostitute, who's listed in Hebrews chapter 11 in the hall of faith as a woman of exemplary faith because God changed her life. God wrote that last chapter. And now we have Obed. We know nothing about Obed other than he is Jesse's father. And we know that Jesse had eight sons. And the youngest of those eight sons was David. And we know that David, the king, points forward to Jesus because he was born out of the line of David. And the name that David carries hope. The name of David points to the Messiah when there will be a time of hope and peace when all sorrow and sadness and sin will disappear. God is writing that last chapter. It may only be that it is our inheritance in heaven. That he is holding out for us. It may be that our suffering goes right up until the very last day of our life. But we have an inheritance promised to us that is imperishable. That all of eternity we have to be with him. Our story will end with God's purpose in mind. And that's the other thing I saw as, as I looked at this genealogy. All of a sudden it hit me that all along... In this story, something far greater is happening than what it appears when you first read it. From this simple genealogy, we see that these people's lives uh, have far greater impact than we can possibly imagine, that there is a wider purpose for this book. These people's lives had impact beyond their wildest imaginations because From them came Obed, came Jesse, came David, came Jesus. They couldn't see it. They couldn't see that far down the road, but God could. God always sees the big picture. God always has an eternal perspective. And what that means for us is that the events and the circumstances and the people that God brings into our lives serves his wider purpose. The people, the circumstances, and the events that God brings into our lives has an impact way beyond what we can possibly imagine. We often think that the everyday decisions that we make have no real significance or impact, but in reality, they are always connected. The ordinary events of our lives are connected to the stupendous work of God in history. Everything we do, no matter how small, is important and is significant. Everything that we do is part of the great picture that God is painting in order to display his wisdom and his power and his glory to a dark and dying world. One of the great joys of the Christian life is that everything matters serving a a widowed mother-in-law, gleaning in the field, getting married, having a baby. All of that stuff of life is important. All of it is connected to eternity. What this genealogy tells us is that everything we do is part of something bigger, way bigger than what they seem. This story is about ordinary people living ordinary lives, But those lives point to David, and David points to Jesus. In in the dark days of the judges, God in his providence is preserving the royal line. Not by heroic actions in battle. Not by great daring deeds, but through the lives of ordinary people just like us. Flawed people, suffering people, faithful people, redeemed people. In the darkness of famine and funerals, when everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes, God is laying the foundation for the coming of the Messiah, the Redeemer of lost humanity. And he continues to work out his purposes, his redemptive plan in our lives today. You know what that means? That you can never say, I don't matter. You can never say, my life is not significant. You can never say, I don't have purpose. Because God is accomplishing his purpose through our lives. And that means that we have great significance and great purpose. Now, as, as important as that is, that is not the fundamental story that we need to see here. The most important element of this story in the book of Ruth is that this man, Boaz, is a type of Jesus Christ who redeemed his bride, the church. You see, Jesus fulfilled all three requirements of the kinsman redeemer. He became a man in order to become a brother, in order to become our close relative. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says this, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. Jesus took on flesh and blood, To become our close relative. Secondly, Jesus was able to be our kinsman redeemer. He was able because he lived a sinless life. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, if he had been involved in the fall, if he had identified with our sinful nature, then he couldn't redeem us. He couldn't redeem himself, never mind redeem us. But because he was sinless, Jesus was able to be our kinsman redeemer. And then thirdly, he was willing to be our kinsman redeemer. See, when he was brought before Pilate and the accusations were being made against him, He made no effort to defend himself. He made no effort to remove himself from that situation. Jesus was willing to die for us. Jesus was willing to pay the redemption price for his people. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ at the cross of Calvary was done with a willing heart. He did it because he wanted to. We've seen in Boaz, a mere human being, that that he could love an outcast, that he could redeem her, that he could bring her into an intimate relationship with himself. How much more could Jesus love all of the outcasts of this world, redeem us, and bring us into an intimate relationship with himself? Some of you might remember the times when the good old Coke came in a a bottle. And uh, when you got that bottle and you finished it, you could bring it back to the store that you bought it, and they would give you a few pennies for bringing it back. They would buy the bottle back. They would redeem it. Now, most people, because it was only a few pennies, didn't think that it was worth the time or the effort or the energy to bring those bottles back to the store, so they'd just throw them out. Well, I grew up in a broken home, and we didn't have very much, so uh, those bottles were worth something to me. So I'd go around and in the trash and look around for different places. I would pick up those bottles, and I would bring them back because they were valuable to me. To other people, they were trash, but to me, they had great value. See, that's a picture of what Christ did for us as our kinsman redeemer. He saw us as valuable. He picked us up. He redeemed us. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, Paul says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the richness of his grace. See, Ephesians tells us that redemption is for the forgiveness of sins. Redemption means that we have been forgiven. That a price has been paid for every sin we've ever committed or ever will commit. We are no longer trash. We are valuable to God. And he picks us up and he redeems us and he recycles us for use for his kingdom and for his glory. The big difference, though, is those stores would pay a couple of pennies for those bottles. Jesus paid the ultimate price for our redemption. He paid the price of his life so that he could redeem us. See, Jesus went to the cross and said, it's finished. Because Jesus, our redeemer, is God. Jesus lived the life that we could never live. Died the death that we should have died. And on the cross, he said, it's finished. It's done. There's nothing for us to do to be redeemed. He's done it all. He did everything. Because we're sinners. And we can't redeem ourselves. Jesus Christ is our redeemer. Jesus Christ is our Boaz. He knows all about us. He knows everything that we've done. And yet, he redeems us anyway. Now, I think it's important for us to know that for Boaz, there was more than just fulfilling the law and um, because he was a relative is why he redeemed Ruth. I think there were two other really important reasons why he did it. The first is that he loved her. Boaz loved Ruth despite her lineage, despite the fact that she was a Gentile. He loved her despite the fact that she was poor. He loved her despite the fact that she had absolutely nothing to offer him other than herself. He loved her with a selfless love that sought nothing in return, but only her best interests. He cared about her. He wanted to protect her. He wanted to provide for her. He loved her. Therefore, he willingly paid the price of redemption for Ruth. And that's just what motivated Jesus to do that for us. That's just what motivated Jesus to redeem us. Jesus, who was born in this world in poverty, Jesus who experienced rejection and shame, Jesus went to the cross because he loves his people. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, but God shows his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. John chapter 3 verse 16 says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus Went to the cross and paid the redemption price for us because he loved us. He loved us in spite of all the things he could have had against us. He loves us in spite of all that we do wrong. He loves us even though we are poverty stricken. He loves us even though we have nothing to offer him other than broken lives. He loves us. So he went willingly to the cross. And paid our redemption price. I think the other reason that Boaz went to redeem Ruth was because he wanted to bring life out of death. See, without a kinsman redeemer, the family of Elimelech would have disappeared. They would have died out. The family would perish from Israel. I was trying to think of a, a, a current day uh, picture of that it would be kind of like if if someone died without a will and because they didn't have a will everything that they had went to another family or to the state it would be completely gone death would be the final picture for the family of Elimelech but but Boaz cared about that family he cared more than just for himself he desired to preserve life And I believe that's also why Jesus went to the cross. That's why he suffered and died for us. His desire is to take us who are dead in our trespasses and sins, according to Ephesians 2.1, and give us life according to Romans 6.13. It says that God brought us from death to life, that Jesus took us from dead in sin and gave us life when he redeemed us. In Galatians 3, 13, it says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. We are redeemed from the curse of the law, which is death. The curse of the law is spiritual death. But we have been redeemed from that. We have been given life in Jesus Christ. We have life in Jesus Christ. We are made alive because he redeemed us, because he paid the price for us. He gives life to those who are trapped in sin and death that's just what he does for everyone who receives him as savior and lord he provides redemption and he does all the work he does it all he makes dead people alive and that's what we get when we're redeemed by Jesus, we who were once separated from God, we who were once in poverty and sin, now have new life. We are no longer separated. We are no longer away from God. We are brought into an intimate relationship. We have life in Christ. Th- this idea of redemption not only saves us from death and gives us life, but it saves us from something, death, to something. And that is a life of purity and service to God. Listen to what Paul says in Titus chapter 2, verse 14. He says, speaking of Jesus, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. See, we're saved from our life of sinfulness to a life of purity. We are saved from a life of rebellion against God to a life of service to God. When Jesus takes us and gives us life, he puts us on the path of serving him, of living a life that honors him, of being the people that he designed us to be, to Act justly to love mercy and to walk humbly before God. See, every one of us can picture ourselves in this story someplace. Some of us will find ourselves still in chapter 1, still in that very hard place in life. If you are there, if you are still in chapter 1, I would encourage you to do what Ruth did and continue to follow God. Continue to turn away from that old life of sin. And regardless of your circumstances, stay with God, run after God, stay in His will, stay on His path, stay in His truth. Because God hasn't finished with you. God is still writing that last chapter. Trust Him and His purposes. Now maybe you're here and in, in, you're in chapter 4. Maybe life was hard and now God has brought blessing into your life and you're at a good place. May I remind you now then to live that life of purity, to live that life of service, to live a life that honors God, to live a life that serves him, and to be thankful. Be thankful to God that he has you where he has you. See, either way, God is working his purpose, his big picture, his plan in our lives. We need to thank our Boaz, our Jesus, our Redeemer. Now, maybe you're in a third category here today. Maybe you've never experienced the joy of redemption. Maybe you've never been brought into an intimate relationship with the great king of the universe. If that's you, if that's you and you're here today, will you please, please come to Jesus. Repent of your sin. Do do just what Ruth did. Turn away from that old life and, and turn to Jesus. Trust him as your redeemer. Come to him as Ruth came to Boaz asking him to be her redeemer and ask Jesus in repentance turn away and in faith trusting him that he is who he says he is and ask him to come and redeem you to change your destination from hell to heaven to give you life where there is only death and all you have to do is ask all you have to do is come believing he is who he says he is Maybe you can talk to the person that came with you. Maybe you'll come down front after the service and talk to somebody that will be here. I beg you, don't let this day go by without a Redeemer because a Redeemer changes everything.